Buenos dias, again. Just want to make sure you're still with me. Gesseling and I have a practice, if you will, what has become a practice that when one of us is not home, the other one becomes a photographer and or a videographer. Not of ourselves, but of the two precious little children that we have, because every single precise moment is, well, it's fairly special, or it's comedic, for sure. That's uh, what happens when they're 20 months apart, and they are inseparable from each other. And yesterday really wasn't a, a, uh, any different. Yesterday I got a video and the, the, what I first saw is, a, is the, back, the head of, of Sionelli, my, my daughter, the, my youngest. And she was in front of the TV, so presumably I, she was playing video games. Presumably the person next to her was my son, Matias. However, when I clicked play, I was surprised and, well, it was hysterical that the person next to her was none other than my mother. <laughs> my mother playing video games with my children. The same mother that for many years told me to stop playing that machinery, she didn't even call it video games, and I had better things to do like clean the yard and study and stuff. But there she was, with my two kids, playing video games. That scene was obviously very different than what it was a week ago. As many of you know, I uh, went, because of emergency, I had to go to Puerto Rico to uh, check in with and, and to uh, care for some of my loved ones, including my mother, but also uh, Kesselings, my wife's uh, grandmother. And it is a, a, an experience that I obviously will never forget, especially when the ground shook. I was perhaps about 10 yards away from my house when it did. The house that I had lived for most of my years in Puerto Rico, and the house that, at the moment the ground shook, had my mother and Kesseling's grandmother inside. I ran towards the house yelling for them to get out of the house immediately. I don't remember how long it actually lasted. It probably lasted a few minutes, but in my mind, that 5.99 earthquake uh, lasted several minutes. I feared something would happen uh, to my two loved ones inside the house. I feared that the house I had so many memories from and in would be damaged. I feared. The ground stopped shaking before my mother and grandmother-in-law uh, got out, or they, they never really did get out of the house. Thankfully, it stopped. Physically, we were all okay, but emotionally and mentally, we were not. 
There were a lot of things that were uncertain. Yet the irony of it all is that the only thing that was certain was that the ground was likely to shake again and maybe even potentially a lot harder. For those of you that have been seeing in the news, the islands of Puerto Rico have been shaking now since December 28th. A sequence of small to moderate earthquakes have from the, that date led to a 6.4 magnitude earthquake early the morning of January 7th. This was followed by a 6.0 quake just a few hours later. And many aftershocks of varying magnitudes since then. Many houses and buildings crumbled. Many more have been left unstable and uninhabitable. Thousands are now in shelters across the south and southwest of the island of the main island. Equal numbers, if not more, have created impromptu camps on the edges of the highways and many other places. Some of the people in these camps are here because they have lost their homes. Others are there just because they are afraid of being indoors when the next quake hits. The earthquakes have left many being refugees in their own land, away from their homes, wondering if they'll ever see it again. The people of Israel had also been left wondering about their home. They hadn't experienced earthquakes, but their world had certainly been rocked by being forced to live in exile, far away from their land far away from their home. The Babylonian Empire had seized the city of Jerusalem and the southern kingdom of Judah. Now many had been forced to live in a land very foreign to their own, under a different language, a different culture, as people that didn't belong. One can argue that the people of Israel were a people that were founded by the making and fulfillment of promises. The promise of God to live among them, as was exemplified in the temple in the middle of Jerusalem. And the promise that the heir of David, King David, would always sit on the throne as king of Israel. These promises were very much part of the foundation of their identity as uh, as a people, as a nation. Stories were surely told and retold, shared from generation to generation on how God took the people of Israel out of slavery under Egyptian rule through the leadership of Moses, took the people through the desert and led them to a land flowing of milk and honey, their promised land. The temple and the Davidic king were reminders that God was there amongst the people and God's covenant with the people was still intact. Yet now, now as people in exile, the Babylonian empire had appointed a king of their own for Jerusalem and had de destroyed the temple completely, their sacred temple. Their identity, their home, had been destroyed 
They were in exile, removed from their home, removed from who they were. Their identities had been swallowed up by the exile they were experiencing. In a very real way, exile was leading people into despair because the foundations of who they were as a people had been rocked. It wasn't only a matter of losing what they had, but in a deeper sense, it was losing who they were. If the temple had been destroyed, was God still with them? Not only did God promise David that his kingdom was to be established forever, but also that God's mercy would never be removed from him. Now that Babylon had replaced the king with one of their own, had God removed God's mercy from the people? Was God still a merciful God? What does it mean to see that apparently the promises of God have been broken? It is no wonder that the prophet Jeremiah is called the weeping prophet. All throughout his book, and even is so much that he had to include another book, which we call Lamentations. The book says it all. It's him lamenting and saying prophecies to a people that weren't quite getting it. They weren't listening. They weren't turning from their ways. And there's very doom and gloom throughout the entire book of Jeremiah. Not too many happy moments in the book. So surely he wept. Surely he wept because the people would not listen to his prophecies and turn from their wicked ways. He probably wept because, like most true prophets, he wasn't really very popular. There were plots against his life, and at one point was even put into a pit and left to die. He probably wept because even after he being saved from the pit, people still didn't listen to him and disobeyed God for what God had told him through his prophecies. He also probably wept, though, because the land he called home was being destroyed. And now he was going to have to live out his days in a foreign land. Judah and whatever was left from the once great nation of Israel had no land to call their own and had been forced to live in a foreign country in exile. Exile, apparently, was having the final word over who they were. Now, I know that some of you have lived far from that place you called home. Far from the place that in many ways shaped you who you were and still are. It's possible that some of you may very well be aware of what it is to live in literal exile. Yet it doesn't take literal exile to feel removed from home, removed from who you are. What is your exile? Has something happened in your life that has caused you to lose a part of who you are? Perhaps you've lost a job that you felt really allowed you to truly express your gifts and talents. Or perhaps you're in one that doesn't allow you to express and use your gifts and talents. 
Perhaps you've experienced a crisis in your family that has left you wondering about your role as a parent, a spouse, a family member. Perhaps a loved one has had an illness that has had such an effect that unconsciously has become the primary way one thinks or talks about the loved one. There are many things that keep us from being who we are. These experiences can, in a very real way, bring down many of the core values or even promises we have relied on that have made us who we are. At times, these experiences can feel all-consuming and the end-all, be-all of life. I've heard this many times, especially talking to people who have family members battling long illnesses. It gets to a point where it's hard to remember how the loved one was prior to the illness. It's as if the illness takes over the identity of our loved one. Just like many of us going through these experiences, the people of Israel that were in in exile were in despair. They had lost who they were and the truths that had been once central to who they were. It's quite possible that they had begun to see themselves as a conquered people. Nothing seemed to be beyond this new reality. Yet in the midst of this reality, yet in the midst of it, there stood Jeremiah, doing what he always did, what he always would do, bringing a word from the Lord to and for the people. It was as if with every prophecy that he pronounced, he was actually reminding the people that God had not forgotten about them. That perhaps God's mercy still endured. In the midst of despair, out of the ruins of a shaken and defeated people, came a word from God. The prophecy uttered by Jeremiah was a call home. Not simply because it reminded them that one day they were to return to their own land, but because it reminded them of who they still were, and more importantly, whose they were. Jeremiah declares that Babylonian rule will not last forever in the text we read today. It will have an end. The people had probably just begun to live in this, in this exile experience when, when this, the prophecy happened. Jeremiah's pronouncement assured the people that although it would last for some time, exile would not have the final word. There was life beyond exile. There was life beyond the crisis they were in at the moment. Although their lives were consumed by the exile experience, the one, the only one, that had and knew the plans for the people was God. The one and the only one that knew the plans and the future of the people was God. 
The same one that had made the promises of being with the people. The same one that promised never to remove his mercy from the people. That was the one that once again was reminding the people that it was God, not Babylon, not the exile experience that had plans for the people. Plans for your welfare and not for harm. To give you a future with hope. With the prophecy, God was reminding the people that that although they were suffering, exile was not going to define them. God's promises were. In the midst of the rubble, in the midst of despair, the people were able to have a sense of hope. A hope that pushed them to continue the struggle. A hope that led them to build or rebuild. A hope that endured. Perhaps it is glimpses of this promise given given by God to the people of Israel that has allowed the people in Puerto Rico to endure even when the ground is still shaking. As I mentioned earlier, there's many communities, many people that have left their homes and have created impromptu uh, uh, camps. In Spanish, they're they're known as uh, refugios or refugee camps, actually. And it was interesting because the day I went, um, Kesseling's grandmother uh, had to leave her home because her house was uninhabitable. And she spent a a night in the shelter, and the day I got there, I went straight there to take her out and to settle a lot of different things. And we got hungry, and and we were driving by a major highway, and all of a sudden we looked to the side and we see a food truck, and we were like, great, there's food there, let's stop there and grab something to eat. Well, when we got out of the car, we noticed that there were uh, uh, tents in different places. There were people inside their cars, and actually, there was even a flat-screen TV in the back part of a pickup truck that was weirdly connected to a car's battery. Don't ask me about safety issues or anything like that. But There was a people there that had left their homes and were trying their best to stay together, to build a community together. It turns out that the people in that community were the neighbors of Gesseling's grandmother. They knew each other. And for their brief moment, they were reminded of the importance of community. They were reminded that together they can get through this. That was one of many instances in which I potentially saw God's promise. From the flood of people coming in to help from different corners of the island to the prayers of many of you, the messages that many of you sent me, all of that is a glimpse of God's promise. And I'm wondering if that was even what was happening when my mother was sitting down with my children to play video games. Miles away from her home, yet trying to build a new community of sorts, of video gamers. But you can see in the video my son being 
my son, the eldest, teaching my mother what button to press, and my mother looking down to see where the one button was, having no clue where it was, and having my daughter patiently move her finger to where the button was. That was a sense of a community of learning and enduring. Perhaps the ground in your life is unsteady. Perhaps you are still living in your own exile experience. Yet God's promise still rings true even to us here today. The ills of today do not have the last word. The crises that are around us and the many natural disasters and everything else that is going on the world, in the world and in our personal lives do not have the last say. The ills of today do not define who we are. They all have an end date. Yet, God's word for the people of Israel yesterday and for God's word for us here today and for the entire world is that God's promises are a promise of a future of hope. A hope of that endures forever. Amen and amen.